1: That is good, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera of Niners Nation, and with me, as always, on this Tuesday is Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. How are you, sir?
2: Stats, here I am with you once again. Always a good time. Uh, I want to start the show off by giving a shout-out to someone in the Apple Podcast reviews, because I haven't done that in a while. Uh, this is from Jake in Memphis. Says, loves NFL kickoff. He enjoys listening to the daily briefs. Uh, it provides bite-sized information that's easy to digest for the gentle listeners. And he says, thanks, RJ and Stats. So Stats, good job on those the, the new addition to the SB Nation NFL show feed.
1: Thank you. Yes, we started doing a little like a five-minute update, general update on everything going on with around the league, especially this time of year. It's hard to keep track of everything that's going on. So we like to just give you a little little breakfast appetizer, and uh, I'm glad to see that people like it. So thank you. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. We really do appreciate it. Okay, we're going to do a couple things on this show because you have an itch, PLG. You need to talk about the divisional playoff games because, as you just told me before we press record, you have not been able to do that because you have been living in the coaching world. So we're going to talk about the divisional round games. We're going to power rank the head coaching hires that have been made so far. And then we'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the two jobs that have yet to be filled. That, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles, your beloved Philadelphia Eagles, and the just dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans. So how do we going to work this? We'll go through the games. Do you want me to just run off my takes and you react to them? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is like the, the burning take that you feel like they didn't get to on Monday, football Monday, that you have to get out there?
2: Well, if we're going game by game, so we're going to start with the the Rams Packers game. It's that Sean McVay still a coward, still too conservative. You and I slacking each other as we do during the game, being like he is he's he's just being too conservative once again. Um, Was it the difference in the end in terms of the final score? No. But in terms of Sean McVay, I feel like ever winning something stats like
1: how do you feel (laughs) like he's going to maximize this team when he's just leaving points on the board? And I think part of it is a lack of confidence in his quarterback but I thought that was one of the stories of the weekend is that the the people that played aggressive and played to win were basically rewarded for it, especially Andy Reid late, which is one of the things I wanted to get to. But yeah, the, this cowardice has got to stop. You're a thousand percent right, McVay. I mean, you've got these great offensive minds that seem to be holding themselves back. Uh, Rogers,
2: untouchable. Uh, remember there was a time earlier in the season stats where you said the Packers weren't even the second best team in the NFC. So wanted to bring that up, rub it in your face.
1: How do you feel? I I still think if the Niners are healthy, they're a better team than the Packers. Now they weren't, and Green Bay has played well this year. But no, credit to Green Bay. Look, all Matt LaFleur does is go 13-3 and and get to the NFC Championship game. And speaking of LaFleur,
2: I know RJ Ochoa is very concerned about this stats, Uh, your co-host on The Look Ahead. Uh, Matt LaFleur in two seasons with the Packers, two NFC championship games. That is just half the amount that Mike McCarthy had with the Packers in 13 seasons with Aaron Rodgers as the Packers head coach. So, hmm, did
1: Mike McCarthy kind of waste Aaron Rodgers' career? Yes. Yeah, like who, let's see, who is more important in that relationship? Hmm, let me think. You know how hard it is? to be bad with a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers, and somehow Mike McCarthy managed to do it. So congrats, Dallas fans. Last quick take on the Packers-Rams game
2: is that Z'Darrius so Smith, I feel like he's underrated in terms of, you know, like, we all know he's a good player, but like everyone, all the the talk is about Rodgers, 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 as it reasonably should be. But I mean, this is a guy, including the playoffs, who has 29 sacks in 35 games and he hasn't missed a game since the Packers have signed him. Like that's been like we number of the Packers didn't sign anyone ever. I mean, that's been an awesome free agent signing.
1: Yeah. And that's something that we maybe overlook with Lafleur coming in and, you know, Updating the offense is they also made defensive additions, like you mentioned, and they've hit on those. Which, if you're going to spend that big money in the free agent market, you have to get production out of those guys. And they absolutely have. It's been, I mean, basically exactly how the Packers would have drawn it up. Going to Ravens Bill Stats, the Saturday night game, uh, Lamar Jackson
2: getting a lot of heat. And I think you talked about on the look ahead last week about like how he kind of really needed this game. You know, he got that playoff win uh last week, he got the monkey off his back, so to speak. But, uh, you know, not the most kind of encouraging performance after that here against the Bills. Now, I will say, in defense of the Ravens, I think that game was closer than the final score indicated. I mean, it's two missed field goals from, like, the best kicker ever. Like, that's extremely just rare and, like, bizarre. Uh, you know, the red zone pick six, obviously. There were a couple third and fourth down drops in that game where I thought the passes were great, and the players just didn't make, you know, plays on the ball. There was the 23-yard punt to give Buffalo the ball at Baltimore's 38-yard line. There, there were a lot of things in that game that went bad that weren't just Lamar Jackson's fault.
1: I agree. And the Justin Tucker thing is incredible. Like, the last thing I expected was that Justin Tucker was going to miss two field goals and two pretty short field goals in the game, but the win was a little crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that stuff happens, though, right? And we still blame the quarterback. That is, he's not the first person to shoulder that blame when stuff around him has not gone according to plan. Now, it's entirely possible that if he had stayed in that game, he would have pulled a rabbit out of his hat and made incredible plays like we've seen him do. But that didn't happen. And as of right now, all the playoff Lamar questions, I think, are still out there for him.
2: And I know you ripped me on the look ahead last week about the uh, the Bills thing. I guess not just me, but like Hist and and RJ for rooting for the Bills. That's right. Here's what I'll say, though. I'm not saying, like, I'm a Bills fan all of a sudden. I never said that. I said, I think the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. That was my take. Like I think this is going to happen. Now, I do think they are the most rootable team. That doesn't mean I'm, like, a Bills fan. Like, RJ, I don't think he said the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl to begin with. He said, like, he was a Bills fan now. There's, I just want to say there's a difference between those things. And... I've been saying the Bills are going to win a Super Bowl here at Stats because they just look like that team of destiny to me. Like, the vibes are there. I I keep thinking about how, you know, you're looking ahead to this week's game against the Chiefs. Like, aren't the Bills just going to want it more? Like, not just because, I mean, well, yes, in large part, because they haven't been in this spot forever, and the the Chiefs just won a Super Bowl. I just think there's something to this team. They look like they want to win. Like, the energy, the vibes, all of that, they have that going
1: for them. I want to give you credit because you said the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl before really I remember anybody else saying it. During the regular season, you said the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl. So I give you credit for that. I don't give anyone credit that has suddenly adopted the Bills in the playoffs. That drives me absolutely nuts. You get one team, you root for your team. That's it. When they're out, they're out. You can't just replace the whole experience by jumping on the bandwagon of somebody else. As to the Bills and whether or not I think they'll win the Super Bowl, Here's the only thing I worry about, BLG. I still feel like Josh Allen, as great as he is, and in the spectacular plays he's capable of making, he is also capable of making spectacularly bad plays. He still has that that gene in him, that something that can cause him to just make a completely bonehead play. I don't think Patrick Mahomes has that. And that may be the difference, but it's going to be an
2: awesome game. Two underrated, really bad Josh Allen plays in these first two playoff games. I mean, there was a fumble, sack fumble in each of these first two games where the Bills recovered it. And like if they didn't, that would have been that could have been points for the Colts in the first game and the Ravens in this game. Like there were two so two major plays that like Josh Allen got bailed out of. So I think that's a totally fair point. But I think I think that like the Bills haven't even necessarily played their best football is a thing that might be working in their favor. Like they haven't like this. It's not like they've showed the best and it doesn't look good. Like they haven't even been at their best in the playoffs and they're still winning. I think the best still could be yet to come for them. I still feel good about my pick for them as Super Bowl champs.
1: I'm a little sad that we didn't get a Bills-Browns AFC championship game because one team, one long suffering fan base would have gotten the ultimate joy in going to a Super Bowl and the other would have got a kick in the teeth. Which I fully support also.
2: So, speaking of the Browns game stats, I am here to rail against the stupid notion that the fumble rule, the NFL's touchback fumble rule, is the worst rule in sports. That is such garbage to me. It is something that uh, there's this podcast called Art of the Take, here, that's recorded by some people from a Philadelphia radio station. Um, and they define this term as AVCC, Accidental Viral Critical Consensus, where it's basically like everyone just says a thing and like that's the take. And every I just feel like every time I see that play happen, everyone tweets on the timeline. And maybe some people really believe that. And whatever. Fine. That's their opinion. That's their take. But I feel like some people just hop onto that. And I feel like that's what it's become. Like everyone just automatically agrees that's the dumbest rule. And I don't agree with that. So I'm not gonna be silent stats. I'm gonna speak out. No one can suppress me here. Uh <laughs> I, I think it is not the dumbest rule in sports stats because The offense is losing control of the ball, either through being careless or the defender forcing it out, and they should be punished for that. And also, everything about the NFL, basically all the rules, the way that the the refs have been officiating this year, especially like holding is down, uh, defense like uh, offensive pass interference is down, like everything is geared towards the offense. Scoring is up more than ever. Why is it so like inconceivable that the defense could actually have a thing that benefits them for once? Like, like, doesn't that equal out a little bit? Like, it's not like it's a defensive league. Like, so I, I totally think too, uh some of these same people stats, not everyone, but some of these same people complaining about, oh, it's too harsh. Or the same people that are like, oh, millennial culture and participation trophies are ruining everything.
1: <laughs> you stole my take because that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, everybody loves to whine and complain about all how all the rules favor the offense. And the one rule that favors the defense is the one rule everybody wants to change. And that's the touchback rule. And and the defense of, well, if you fumble it anywhere else on the field, you get the ball back. Yeah, this just in the end zone is different. If you cross the goal line, you get six points. That doesn't happen anywhere else on the field. Like there are different rules for the end zone. Um I can understand people that say that the penalty is too harsh. Like I've heard some people say, move the ball back to the 20 and make it, you know, second and goal, third and goal, whatever it may be, which I can get behind also. But I don't have a problem with the fact that this one rule favors the defense. My compromise for people has been this. Give the ball back to the offense, but remove the automatic first downs for all these defensive penalties. Would you be open to that?
2: No, I just want to keep it like it is. I think it's fine. It doesn't need <laughs> to be We don't need to fix it. No, no compromise. Doesn't need, it's fine. It doesn't need to be fixed. Um, there should be a penalty for being careless by the goal line. I think that's totally fair. Um, you know, we all saw it. And the Monday Football Monday crew talked about it in terms of uh, Jason McCordy and Bill Belichick. Like, don't reach for the goal line, especially if it's a situation where it's not even like a fourth down, you know, or a third down, like goal to go. Like, just play it safe. Like, you have the ball. Uh, don't be Don't be crazy. Don't be careless. Um Yeah, and then the the last thing on the on the uh, the Chiefs Browns game, I guess, is I I can't totally kill Stefanski for challenging that that Tyree kill catch. Like that looked like it could have been a drop in live time, and the Chiefs ran back to the line of scrimmage. Like that was a high leverage play. Like if if that was incomplete, that would be a big deal. So like um, he probably didn't know. You know there was enough time. Uh, I, I can't kill Stefanski for the Browns losing.
1: I thought that he was way too careless with his timeouts at the end of the game. Like, I don't know why he, I just thought he used them in terrible spots and you're the Browns. It's fourth and nine at the 32 There's four minutes and 19 seconds left and you punt and you don't get the ball back the rest of the game. Like I, that drives me nuts. You have the ball in order to score. You need the ball. Why are you voluntarily giving it up? That drives me crazy. Your plan is to stop them on defense anyway. Just if you don't get it, stop them like you were planning on it. So i I don't know. I thought they should have been more aggressive. And the fact that the Chiefs didn't have Mahomes gives even Stefanski less of an excuse for punting. Like, they don't even have their quarterback. The odds that you're going to stop them are going to go up if you don't convert anyway. So I I just didn't like that by the Browns. To me, I thought they kind of peed down their leg in a big spot. That's fair.
2: Uh, going to the final game here, the Bucks, the Saints, the old man bowl. The Bucks opposition stats has not been very impressive. And that's coming from me. You know, the Bucks skeptic, not a believer um so maybe I'm still just a hater if you want to call me that Bucks fans that's fine Devin White is a beast though I will have to, you know how could you not admit that and Todd Bowles definitely a really good defensive coordinator getting interviews for head coaching jobs or at least with the Eagles um so we'll see how that goes I'll talk about the Eagles later in the show but uh yeah so those things I do give the Bucks credit for and obviously Tom Brady just being who he is at this age is insane especially when you look at the other side of the ball and stats, I think here's something that you and I can both enjoy. And it's that the Saints are screwed because it's another year they choke <laughs> in the playoffs. They're losing their Hall of Fame quarterback. They're $95 million over the cap next year. They currently only have three picks in the 2021 NFL draft now. They're projected to get, uh, I think, three more comp picks, especially uh, two third rounders for losing Terry Fontenot, uh, Terry Fontenot, I should say, to the, the Falcons. Still, Uh, The Saints are the Peyton Manning of the NFL stats. It's all about the regular season.
1: Okay, that unnecessary dig at Peyton Manning. It's all about the regular season, the guy that won two Super Bowls and got to four. But anyway, a couple of things. First of all, I'm stunned, stunned that the New Orleans Saints lost a home playoff game they were favored to win. Who would have thought? Oh, wait, everyone, because it's what the Saints do pretty much every single year. So I just want to lay that out there. I know the Saints fans love to scream at me, but the facts are the facts. Your team chokes in the playoffs and loses games that they should win. But I also want to say this to the Saints. I don't really crush them for being in the situation that they're in. When you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and the potential to win a Super Bowl, I think it's okay to go for it. Even if it does cost you a couple years down the line, I think it's okay. I think it's worth it. I, I would want my team to do that. I wouldn't want my team to not make a move or trade or something like that because, well, Four years from now, we're going to be in salary cap hell and we're going to have to stink for a couple of seasons. Like, so what? I would rather be good and have some of the highs of a Super Bowl and maybe have to experience some of the lows of rebuilding down the line. Oh, and the Saints have the next Steve Young on their roster, so they'll be OK without Drew Brees. Yeah, they'll be totally fine. I'm sure if Taysom Hill was healthy for this game, they totally would have won. I, I do want to credit a uh, master troll Sean Payton for having Jameis Winston come in and throw a touchdown pass against the Buccaneers. That is a fantastic job by Sean Payton.
2: With the play that the bears just used against him successfully with Mr. Bisky the week before, nonetheless, sorry, saints fans. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sorry. Uh, You're getting what you deserve. You, uh, (laughs) you deserve this. I mean, look, they said the saints have been such losers stats. They really have been. Um, I'm not a guy, I feel like, to come at a team's fan base for just no reason. The Saints have been especially, like, aggro to the Eagles in the past. Sean Payton had the Saints team buses do laps around the stadium after the Saints beat the Eagles in the playoffs in 2013. Uh, There was a point in the 2000, right after the Super Bowl, actually, that season, I think Alvin Kamara said, quote, that the Saints would have beaten the S out of the Eagles if they hadn't lost to the Vikings, which is like the most <laughs> loser thing you can ever say. You did lose to the Vikings. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, I think the, the Saints made fun of the Eagles for doing a ski mask thing. They called them fraudulence. So basically, I just want to say, you know, here that like the Saints are getting their comeuppance. Anytime you want to bash the Saints, you
1: know I'm all for it. Anyone that's listened to this show knows I have no love loss for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, so that's our quick takes on the divisional round. Now we want to get into sort of the meat of the episode, and that is our power rankings. We have power ranked the head coaching hires so far. Um, before we jump into that, though, I want to lay out three ways that I think that you can make a good head coaching hire, because this is sort of how I evaluated the moves that were made, and I want to see if you agree with them. The first thing that you can do to make a good head coaching hire is to fix your biggest problem. And uh, the, the classic example I give is John Gruden getting hired by the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers had an awesome defense in 2002. They were incredible, one of the best we've ever seen. They needed somebody to, to bring the offense together and do just enough to get them over the hump to win a Super Bowl. Enter John Gruden with Brad Johnson, and the Bucs did that. So if you can fix your biggest problem with a head coaching hire, I think that's one way to get that decision right. Okay, what's number two? Number two, accentuate your biggest strength. If you lean into what you do well, I think that's okay. I think it works best with an offensive head coach and a great quarterback like the Chiefs. They have Patrick Mahomes. They have Andy Reid. He's one of the best, most creative play callers. But it also works defensively, I think, with the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll. If you lean into your biggest strength, I can't crush you for that.
2: I think the ideal of a coach is like, not having his system, enforcing it on a new team, but being adaptable, right? I think that's something we talk about with the best head coaches. Bill Belichick, for example, like that's, that's his calling card.
1: 100%, and actually I'm going to get to Belichick because that's my last way to make a good head coaching hire is to complement your biggest strength. And this to me is the holy grail of head coaching hires. Think Bill Belichick, defensive genius with Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. If you can get a compliment of those two things That is the ideal situation. So those are my three categories. Accentuate your biggest strength, solve your biggest problem and complement your biggest strength. So that's sort of how I looked at these head coaching hires and how I evaluated them. Okay. So actually I did
2: all seven, even though the Eagles and Texans haven't hired yet, but spoiler alert, I'm keeping them under the top five. So it kind of worked out here anyway, because the teams that have hired, I think are the top five teams. Um, So you want me to run through the whole thing? Yeah, just give me a quick, and then we'll compare it to mine. I'm going to go bottom up, leave a little suspense here. I'm going to say five, the Jags, Urban Meyer. (laughs) Four, Lions, Dan Campbell. Three, Chargers, Brandon Staley. Two, Falcons, Arthur Smith. And that leaves the Jets, number one, Robert Sala.
1: That is almost exactly what I have. The only change I have is I put Dan Campbell last and Urban Meyer four, but other than that, you're right on. So let's, let's get to that first. You have Meyer at five. Why didn't you put him last? And, and what don't you like about it?
2: I just think there's so much disaster potential here. Like, have we, have we not seen what, what has happened with urban Meyer, like off the field things, uh, not to mention his health, which he's had to retire twice for. Uh, I I know he's been successful everywhere. He's gone. So maybe there's something to that, but Again, I've mentioned it before here on the show stats like I've been burned personally by the Chip Kelly thing. And I'm not saying that Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly are necessarily the same person, but I just I'm very skeptical of the college coach, especially one with all these red flags here. I think I can see somewhat Uh, of reasons you know why the jags made this hire in terms of marketability and whatnot but i just i really like their situation as you know as you know as i I talked about at the end of the regular season like in terms of the cap space and the draft picks and everything and i just wonder if they could have been better served hiring hiring maybe like a marvin lewis and finding that stability instead of someone who could be so potentially volatile as urban meyer
1: i agree i i don't really know what the Jags are solving with this pick. I mean, I guess they're more relevant now, which is a problem for the team, but that doesn't really help them on the field. They had a great situation, but we don't know anything about Urban Meyer as an NFL head coach. I can't remember who said it, but there was a a college coach that said, why would I want to go to the NFL when I get one first round pick, where in college I can recruit five, 10 guys to come in and who are going to be first round picks in one year. I can bring all those guys to my team. And I think that's a strength of Urban Meyer was recruiting and bringing in talented guys. Well, he can't do that now. So if you sort of take his greatest strength out of play, what are you left with there? And by the way, the next great Urban Meyer quarterback in the NFL will be the first great Urban Meyer quarterback in the NFL because he's never really friggin had one. So I don't really know what the Jags saw in Urban Meyer that made them make this move. And they, he was kind of their main target from the jump.
2: And he's being hired, too, before the general manager, which is a little scary because that probably says, you know, he's going to have a lot of the personnel power there. And I just don't love typically when coaches have that because I think that's dangerous. I think it's dangerous to have a coach who's thinking short term uh, when you you should have a GM who should be thinking long term.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you. But why did you put Meyer behind Dan Campbell? Because to me, Dan Campbell is the worst of the hires. I don't understand it at all. I mean, it looks to me like all they did was just go for the complete opposite of Matt Patricia, who was not a player's coach at all. Very strict, very just, you know, he's telling reporters to sit up during press conferences. So they look like they just went the complete opposite of that, which is a terrible decision. So I had Campbell last. Why did you put Campbell ahead of Urban Meyer?
2: I think Campbell might be able to assemble something of a good staff, you know, bringing some, some people from the saints, um, a very good regular season team. Once again, maybe the lions are trying to replicate that success down in new Orleans. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess is why I kind of put Dan Campbell in the middle. Cause I just didn't know. So that's what I kind of do. Like I don't really feel terrible about this guy. I also don't feel amazing. I kind of remember when Dan Campbell took over the dolphins as their interim head coach and he kind of gave them some juice there for a little bit. And it seemed like players really like him. So, um, Maybe this is kind of in the vein of a Doug Peterson hire where it's really not flashy and there isn't a reason like there was back in 2016 to feel amazing about Doug Peterson. But there also wasn't like a reason to feel totally awful about him. So
1: kind of just middle of the road for me. And uh, that's why I have them middle of the road in my rankings. I just I didn't like it like it doesn't accentuate a strength of theirs because the Lions pretty much don't have any strength. Uh It doesn't. It doesn't fix a weakness or address their biggest problem because they have so many problems. And it's not like Dan Campbell's this super X's and O's guy. And it doesn't complement anything because, like I said, the Lions don't have any strength. So I just I really didn't get this at all, especially when you've got guys like Eric Biennemi and Brian Dable who are still out there and maybe could have been convinced to to make the jump. I'm stunned that of all the candidates, the Lions looked at Dan Campbell and were like, we got to have that guy.
2: It's definitely strange. I can't, I can't say it's like amazing. Um, I totally get it. It's, it's the flashy hire. But with coaching hires stats, they're often crop shoots, right? More often than not. I mean, I remember, again, just speaking from personal experience, the Eagles here, everyone loved the Chip Kelly hire. I was thrilled. I was over the moon about the Eagles hiring Chip Kelly. And guess what? Didn't work out. It wasn't a good, it was not a good move in the end. By contrast, I was pretty skeptical of the Doug Peterson hire. I tweeted something to the effect of, fave this tweet when Doug Peterson wins uh, Super Bowl as the Eagles head coach. Very much in, in a sarcastic manner. Now it looks smart, and it looks like I actually believed in him all along. Um, so if you're listening to this, please disregard what I just said, and I actually did. Uh, so, yeah, you, you never know for sure. I mean, I guess that's not really the best selling point when you're looking for optimism. But, I mean, that's kind of where the lines are.
1: All right, let's take a break and then we'll get to the three, two, and one on our list and also the remaining head coaching openings.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prof. G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prof G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the SB Nation NFL show. This is the Off Day Debrief. We are going through our head coach hiring power rankings. BLG and I disagree with Urban Meyer and Dan Campbell, but those are the first two on the list. And now we get to number three, and I think we both had number three as Brandon Staley to the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I uh, I like Brandon Staley as a candidate, actually.
2: I think, you know, you can look at the inexperience and say it's a concern, and the age, you know, he's younger, 38, but uh, on the younger side in, in just terms of experience and whatnot, uh, I thought uh, a friend of mine uh, writes about the Eagles, uh, Tommy Lawler, made an interesting point kind of comparing... Brandon Staley to like maybe a defensive version of Andy Reed. Like when Andy Reed was hired by the Eagles, he was kind of this lesser known guy. He had been at some smaller school colleges. Um, I think the way that Staley coached, I mean, the Rams defense was amazing this year. You know, I know they, you know, <laughs> didn't, weren't as good in the, in the, uh, in the playoffs this past weekend, but I mean, I'm mean, i not going to kill him for that. Um, you know, Donald was banged up. Uh, the Packers are just kind of Rodgers has basically been unstoppable the entire year. And I just think what Staley was doing in terms of schematically and creativity-wise, like, really impressive. So I, I think there's a good head coach in there. Also played quarterback, you know, so he kind of has some kind of track record as an offensive background too. Um, I, I don't love that the idea that the Charters could be changing offensive coordinators a lot, potentially, um, you know, with Justin Herbert here. that's That's why I had this lower. I really kind of wanted them to get – an offensive head coach like Brian Dable and have that stability, but I think Staley, uh, in a vacuum, is a good candidate.
1: Yeah, that's something that a lot of people have brought up. If you go with the defensive guy, you you do have to worry about that. That's not a deal breaker for me, but it does add an extra sort of layer, an extra task that you have to do. You have to be able to backfill your staff with offensive assistants that can one day become the offensive coordinator. I, I think this is a great move by the Chargers. To me, they are shooting for the Holy Grail. They are shooting for complementary strengths. Justin Herbert is there. The offense is really good. So you bring in what, I mean, to me, Brandon Staley is sort of being billed as like the defensive Sean McVay, the young, like, whiz kid, basically, wonder kid. And there's there's playmakers on this Chargers defense. You've got Joey Bosa. Derwin James, when he's healthy, is incredible. So they're trying to swing for the fences here, which I like and I can appreciate. And to me, the Chargers need somebody to just organize things. It's always a cluster with the Chargers. There's always like two minutes left. You got no timeouts. You're down by four and they got to go around the field, you know, and sort of like a fire drill and try to get a touchdown. Like you just need some stability, some organization there. And hopefully that's what Brandon Staley can bring. I I like the move a lot by the Chargers.
2: Staley seems like a good coach to me. Like, I know that sounds like very basic, but Anthony Lynn at the end here especially was not a good coach. Like, he did not have the coaching aspect down. Um, And I think that's what Staley can bring here. Uh, I think you're going to see more of a competency from him, whereas Lynn was not there by the end.
1: Uh, So, yeah, I I like it too. I'm surprised to see a couple of young defensive head coaches get some high-profile jobs too. You know, I thought we had sort of swung the opposite way with – Anyone that's ever been talked to by Sean McVay getting a job. And now we've seen a couple of good defensive assistants. Brandon Silly falls under that category. (laughs) Oh, that's true. But at least he's defensive, not offensive. Right. Number two. Number two, the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith, which here's my take on this hiring. Atlanta feels like a roster of people that nobody else wanted. And that kind of sounds like a dig, but I think they got the perfect head coach because Arthur Smith took Ryan Tannehill, who really nobody else wanted, and turned him into a really good quarterback, like not just okay and serviceable, like one of the best in the entire league. And so that seems to be a perfect match, right? I mean, that's what you would want if you're sort of in this in-between state of the Falcons roster, which is exactly where I think they are. So I think that maybe the Falcons would be able to compete sooner rather than later If Smith can work that magic with the other guys on the roster, possibly. You know, we could
2: see Matt Ryan kind of have a resurgence here, or maybe you just feel good about Arthur Smith also like bringing the new guy along, whoever they potentially draft at quarterback to replace Matt Ryan or trade for or whatever, however they work this thing. Um, Yeah, I like Arthur Smith. I think it's an intriguing profile for a guy to last through like four head coaches like he did. Like he must be doing something right, like to, to impress the organization. Um, obviously the the offensive offensive success that the Titans have had is is very, you know, intriguing and alluring. And I think people kind of get on the Derrick Henry thing a little bit too much. They're like, How can he possibly have success without Derrick Henry? Well, I'm like, well, he's basing his offense around Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry is there. Like he's doing what a good head coach does, and he's playing up to the strengths. I, that doesn't mean I think like the, the Falcons are suddenly going to be like, you know, running the ball a billion times with Todd Gurley or, you Smith or whoever uh, in Atlanta. I, I think he plays to uh, player strengths and also just watching some of his interviews uh, like that he's done with media and whatnot because he was in the running for the Eagles job. So I was kind of looking at him closely. I just thought he was impressive when he talked. He seems like, you know, he's, he has a, a, like a good mind. Seems like he's pretty well put together. I think it's a solid hire.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Like, he he didn't just happen to land in the perfect spot where, oh, Tennessee has Derrick Henry. Good thing, because I'm just going to run Derrick Henry and, and do all that. Like like you said, he's doing that because of who he has available. And I think he'll do the same thing in Atlanta. There are pieces there. I mean, Julio Jones is older, but he's still good. Matt Ryan is older, but he's still good. So I, I kind of agree with what you said about how if they want to stick with those guys, then maybe he can have success there pretty early. And if they want to blow it up and start over, then... He, you have every reason to believe that he could do that too. So for Atlanta, to me, like this is the most inspiring head coach they've had in a while. The Falcons head coaching history is not exactly loaded with studs. So I think that Atlanta made the right move. You know, they finally got rid of Quinn and Dimitrov and now they're sort of rebuilding it there. And congratulations to the Falcons because it starts, any great rebuild starts with the head coach. And I think they got it right. Number one, the number one head coach for both of us of this hiring cycle is Robert Sala to the New York Jets. Why do you think it was the best of all the hires? I just think for a team that is has the longest playoff drought in the NFL
2: stats, I don't know if you knew that. The Jets have not been in the playoffs in what, like over 10 years? I think it's since the 2010 NFC Championship game or AFC Championship game, uh, <laughs> Mark Sanchez. It's been a while, and I think what Sala has done with the 49ers defense has been pretty impressive. I think you like people kind of talk about how it wasn't as good earlier in his tenure. Well, guess what? I mean, the 49ers ranked bottom five in defensive spending those two years, so it wasn't built to be good. Uh, It's been obviously much better the past two seasons, including this year, as you know, when your 49ers were decimated by injury. Uh, I think his energy and enthusiasm is good. I, I love the... Hiring process that the Jets went through. Like, they didn't really have strong connections to Robert Salah. This isn't just like hiring someone you know. Like, this was, they brought him in, they interviewed him, and they're like, wow, this guy is really impressive. We're going to hire him because he's the best candidate. I think there's reason to have hope as a Jets fan. I think this guy's going to bring some energy, much needed energy and enthusiasm to that team, breathe some life into that locker room. Uh, I think Joe Douglas you know, has a lot of ammo here with all those picks the Jets have. Maybe they can trade for Deshaun Watson. Maybe they find their quarterback in the draft. There's a lot of possibilities, potential. They have cap space. I just think this is a really good situation. I think Robert Sala um, is also bringing in you know, uh, the other Lafleur from the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> so you're bringing in some of that uh, offensive influence too. I, I just think it's a good setup here.
1: Yeah, and that's something that we touched on a little, but you're right. Who The the staffs that these guys bring with them is massively, massively important. Uh, But you're right about Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. They had never met before the interview, which congratulations for hiring the guy you think is the best candidate. I think the Jets did two things with this hire. They accentuated their greatest strength, which to me is the defense. They've got some really good young players on that defense, and they addressed their biggest problem, which is leadership. People did not believe in Adam Gates. From the second he got the job at that press conference where he's looking around the room like there's an elephant flying around the room that only he could see, he just didn't inspire confidence. Robert Sala is the complete opposite. He's going to come in there. He's going to provide instant credibility because of the success he had with the defense and I think instant accountability also. I think the Jets hit an absolute home run with this hire. And you're right, BLG. They are in a fantastic position. I was talking to Brandon Tierney of CBS Sports Network last week. I think the Jets control the entire draft. If they want to stick with Sam Darnold, they could ransom that pick and get a ton back if they want to go that route. Or they can stick with Sam Darnold and draft another tackle to go with him or or a weapon to compliment him. Or if they want to get rid of Darnold, they can take a quarterback. Like They can do anything they want to do. They are in a perfect spot things to me are better for the New York Jets right now than they have been since Rex Ryan was there.
2: I'm going to say right here now, Stats, that the New York Jets are going to make it back to the playoffs before the New York Giants will.
1: Ooh, I like that. And, and that's a question I wanted to ask you because historically, for, I think for the past at least five years, at least one new head coach has made the playoffs in his first year. If you had to pick one of these guys to make the playoffs, are you going Sala? Are you going Staley? What, what do you like?
2: Hmm. It could be tough because the I like the Bills. I like the Dolphins. Maybe the Patriots rebound. Uh, maybe it's not quite next year for the Jets. They might be still a year away. Um, looking at this thing, I'm going to go Chargers because uh, I believe in Herbert. And I think Staley could get this thing. The defense, you said their pieces there. Uh, I know the Chiefs are at, at top of the division there. But I think, you know, with uh, the wild card being extended, I, th- I think the Chargers can make
1: it. I would agree with you. But if I had to make a pick that was different from you, I think I might go Arthur Smith with the Falcons. Tom Brady is going to be 44 next year if he even decides to come back. So we don't know how he's going to perform. You were talking about the Saints dropping off of a cliff. And the Panthers, I think, will be better in Matt Rule year two. But I certainly don't think that they're a prohibitive divisional favorite. If the Falcons stick with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and the guys they have there, I could easily see them winning the division next year. So if I had to make a pick that was different from you, I think I would go Arthur Smith in Atlanta. Okay,
2: yeah, I could see that, Uh, especially, again, I'll just reiterate, once again, Saints fans,
1: (laughs) the decline starts now. I thought I was the Saints hater on this network. Apparently, I didn't know you were right there with me. Welcome. Embrace the hate. Come to the dark side. I'm throwing them in to the pit of misery. That's the, the Saints, the fans, everything. They're in the pit. Pit of misery. Well, speaking of pit of misery, BLG, as we transition to the two open jobs, I could make the case that your Philadelphia Eagles belong in the pit of misery because they seemingly have just snowballed bad decision after bad decision. They still need a head coach. It's looking like Josh McDaniels as we record this early on Tuesday morning. Tell me the latest there and if you like that move.
2: Yeah, we actually have some breaking news here that's... On the the podcast, uh, the Eagles are interviewing uh, Colts offense coordinator Nick Sirianni today. So apparently not a done deal quite with Josh McDaniels yet. But to get to your question, because it seems like a lot of things are pointing in the favor of the Eagles hiring Josh McDaniels. The one word I would use to describe that situation stats or my feelings on that would be skeptical. And how could you not be given everything that's gone on with Josh McDaniels? I mean, Denver was a disaster. He was, what, 11-19, fired before even finishing out two seasons. There's a cheating scandal, which I'm sure he learned from the Patriots. There was him immediately alienating his starting quarterback to the point where Jay Cutler wanted to be traded. There was him trading up for Tim Tebow and wanting Matt Castle, not exactly identifying the best quarterbacks there. I mean, there was just a whole bunch of issues. And now you could say, okay, there's been a lot of time that's passed Okay, but it was only a couple of years ago when he backed out of the coach job, when he basically accepted it. There was there was a press conference ready. And it was so embarrassing that Josh McDaniel's agent, Bob Lamont, who represents like a lot of like successful clients like Andy Reid among them. So like a very well-respected coaching agent dropped him because he was embarrassed. Like this is there are a lot of issues here. Now, I will say that, you know, you look at his offensive success. You can kind of try to say, okay maybe there's something here. Uh, Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager is, was college roommates with Jed Fish, who was the Patriots quarterback coach this past season. So Howie Roseman has a window into Josh McDaniels. And maybe that's why, you know, that interview was instigated because, uh, Jed Fish was like, Hey, take a look at Josh. Like he's, he's changed now. He's, he's worth at least talking to. Um, so, but man, I think the, the cons outweighs the outweigh the pros here. This, this has disaster potential.
1: If you're on the Josh McDaniels train, I think what you say is, look, he was really young when he went to Denver and he, you know, he made some mistakes clearly and he's older now, he's more mature, he's changed. But if you look at Josh McDaniels coaching history, he only knows really one way and that's the Patriot way. And that I think was his biggest problem is he tried to go and be like Bill Belichick. And you cannot be Bill Belichick unless you have Super Bowls on the wall, because Belichick is a jerk. Like, there's just no other way around it. And you can't treat your players like that unless you've got a fistful of rings that you can slam on the table and tell people to shut up. And Josh McDaniels didn't really have that as a head coach, and it failed in Denver spectacularly. So when you say he's changed, changed into what? Because the only way he knows in the NFL is the Patriot way. So I don't think you can hire him and bank on some, you know, massive change in who he is. He's the same guy he always was and you have to know that going in. Now if you're okay with that, all right. But I think to to hire him and say he's a different guy now would be a huge mistake.
2: Yeah, I'd be pretty skeptical of that. And it's really bizarre stats because the Eagles Lost Frank Reich to the Colts because Josh McDaniels backed out of that job. So, how insane would it be that then they would hire Josh McDaniels <laughs> to be their head? Like, it's so crazy. Um, I also think it speaks to the undesirability of the Eagles' job. I mean, who else is out here interviewing Josh McDaniels? No one, as far as we know. The Texans, who you would think would hire him or at least be interested in him, given that, you know, Nick Casarios from there, um, Jack Easterby, you know, from the Patriots, like, there's a connection there. They're not exactly a hot spot for a head coach. You would think like maybe they're interested. Maybe Josh McDaniels isn't interested in them, to be fair. But um, yeah, so I I just, man, I'm not going to say there's a 0% chance it would work out just because uh, of coaching hires being crapshoots and that McDaniels, you know, for as much as uh, it's easy to hate on him, which it is. I mean, if you want to look at how the Patriots were. Ranking and scoring since he returned to the uh, to the Patriots as their offensive coordinator, it's it's starting in 2012. First in scoring, third in scoring, fourth in scoring, third in scoring, third in scoring, third in scoring second in scoring, seventh in scoring, third in scoring. Uh, before last year, obviously, where they, when they weren't as good. Now again, Tom Brady's there, so it's hard to parse exactly. Um, but I think you could do worse in theory. And uh, stats, I'm almost okay with it being volatile in part because I don't think it matters. Who the high the Eagles hire uh, a head coach? Very cynical of me, but I just think they're in a situation where coach wasn't the biggest problem anyway. Maybe this helps them see that in the future. If he just blows it up and realize, like, oh wow, like there's bigger there's bigger problems here. If he fails too, um, and obviously if they pick him to be that guy, there's a signal that it's not just the head coach; it's also the people picking the head coach. Um, so I kind of looking at a, a, as a boomer bust situation. Maybe he is just the greatest thing, and he is what they think he is, and he kind of helps them overcome all of the the personnel issues. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not excited about it.
1: They seem to have chosen Carson Wentz over Jalen Hurts. So if that is the case, which it seems like it is, are you confident that Josh McDaniels can fix Carson Wentz? Because whoever they hire, that's going to be job one.
2: I think, and this this is a big thing that came out, I don't know if you saw this stats over the weekend. Um, Jeff McLean from the Inquirer did a great report about how Carson Wentz basically was uncoachable <laughs> and insubordinate uh, last season. And the relationship with Doug Peterson obviously soured and was really bad. And, and that's something I've been talking about on BGN Radio and bleedinggreennation.com. I interviewed the author of the scathing Philly Voice report about Carson Wentz all the way back in January 2019. That kind of called out a lot of his character flaws and, and things that have been wrong. And as a follow up to that earlier, and this is back in week two, this is before Carson Wentz was even struggling this season, was that like Carson Wentz doesn't take the hard coaching well. He, he It's not happening like he can't be coached hard. Um, and I think that's a huge issue. I think the idea stats that the Eagles can just hire this head coach and he can fix Wentz like people are looking at this with Josh McDaniels and saying like, maybe he can do that. Maybe he can get on. I mean, maybe, but the change ultimately has to start with Carson Wentz. The onus is on him. He has to be coachable. He has to take to this coaching. He has to realize that he is responsible for a lot of his own struggles and he needs to be accountable for that. And so far with his actions, he has not been because when he got benched, he went to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and complained. He didn't like reflect and look inward and say like, Hey, I'm doing something wrong here. I need to get better or I need to be better than this. I don't think he realizes he's part of the problem. So that makes me skeptical. uh, There's that word again. That makes me skeptical that he is going to be fixed if he doesn't want to be fixed or, or if he doesn't realize he needs to be fixed.
1: Where is this? I don't know if you want to call it arrogance. Like, where is this coming from? Like Carson Wentz, like you, you know, it's not like you were this decorated college player who has all these Heisman trophies. Like, You've basically had one good year in the NFL. Why do you think that you're so great that everybody else is the problem? Where's that coming from? I think it's entitlement.
2: I think it's how the Eagles have coddled him in a way. I mean, they look—they traded up. They mortgaged a lot to trade up for him to draft him. Like he knew that, so he—he's thinking like, "Hey, I'm I'm special. I'm this guy." And he had—he did have success, you know, at North Dakota State. Now it's North Dakota State, but still, they won some national championships there. So he there is. You. I mean, that's – but I'm just saying in terms of the mindset, like that's his mindset. Like, hey, I'm a national – or I'm a FCS champion. Like it's all part of the mindset. And then it was also, you know, the success 2017 kind of being MVP caliber. It was – um, you know not winning the super bowl with the team but helping the team win a super bowl it's the contract extension which they can't move on from him basically making him unt- untouchable and giving him i believe at the time of the deal i think it might have been the most guaranteed money uh, in the NFL so there's a lot there the organization has treated it to him and catered to him uh, just even with personnel decisions and, and things like that and him having influence uh, the lion stats that i used back in September Um, or that I heard from my interview with Joe Santillacuido, was that he has the line to the bat phone. Like, Carson Wentz can pick up that thing, and it's a direct line to Jeffrey Lurie, and he gets what he wants. So that's where it comes from.
1: Well, name a situation in NFL history where that has been the case and it has worked out for the team. Anytime the quarterback has the ear of the owner, except for maybe the New England Patriots, maybe, it's been bad. Like, that's never a good look. Well, that's the
2: thing. Like, if Carson Wentz wins, then that's fine. He can do that. That's totally within reason. But if you're not winning, <laughs> if you're losing, then you can't. That's, the, that's why Brady can do it or, or has been able to do it because
1: he was winning. And he, he should get what he wants if you win. But if you're not winning, you don't deserve that. Well, speaking of not winning, we have one more team left to talk about, and that is the Houston Texans. They have a new GM in Nick Casario. They're still looking for a head coach. They finally interviewed Eric Bieniemy this week over Zoom. Because seemingly they're trying to fix things with Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that's going to be fixed. I don't even know who the leading candidate is in Houston, BLG. What, what do you see them doing? And do you think it even matters? Do you think their relationship with Watson is just beyond the point of no return? I mean, it might be you at this point, Stats, because I don't know <laughs> who they're going to Yeah, to fill the job. I mean,
2: hey, look. Uh, Maybe you and I should both take that job. I think we should make a campaign here. We'll take the Texans' job because at the very least, um, we'll just go for it on fourth down every time, right? Like we'll be aggressive and and maybe it will work out for us, even though everything else is a disaster down there. But um, yeah, I don't. They they interviewed Leslie Frazier. They're talking to Eric Bieniemy, so we hear virtually. You know, obviously they can't do it in person yet. The Chiefs still in the playoffs. Um, I don't know, but it's a really bad situation when you're alienating your starting quarterback, who is pretty much the the only thing you have to feel good about on that team uh yeah it's a mess for as undesirable as the eagles situation should be like in any other given hiring cycle like they should be the dead last pretty like clear cut in terms of like, cap space quarterback uncertainty and everything but it, they're not because the texans are here and they're even more of a disaster and really it's not going to happen but they should just fire jack used to be they should get him out of there they should they should they should be doing what the eagles have been wrongfully doing with Carson Wentz, maybe, and actually cater right. to their quarterback. We need to flip that around. Stop catering to Carson Wentz, Eagles, and Texans. Start catering to, to, Car- uh, to Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, I agree. They should get rid of Jack Easterby. What does he provide that is so valuable that you're afraid to lose? But look at the McNair family. I'm, I know it wasn't Cal McNair that said it, but they, quote, don't want the inmates running the prison. So the more the call goes to push Jack Easterby out, I feel, I feel like the stronger McNair is going to cling to Jack Easterby because that's what he grew up with. Uh, sad to say, but that's the truth. And the Texans are a horrible situation. They have one thing going for them, and it's Deshaun Watson, and he doesn't even want to be there. It does frustrate me that the other Head coaching hirings have been so crazy that Houston could do everything wrong and still luck into a really good candidate in Eric Bieniemy. Like that bothers me because I think he's a really good candidate and he would be a good choice for head coach. And they didn't they don't deserve him, for lack of a better term, but they could get him that he could very well wind up going to Houston.
2: That's another thing, I guess, though, speaking to what we've said multiple times now, just coaching hires being a crapshoot. Sometimes like you sometimes you're the Eagles and you want Ben McAdoo and you can't get him because he turns you down. And then you hire Doug Peterson and then you win the Super Bowl. Like sometimes things are undeserved and they happen like that. Sometimes uh, you have a great plan. Um and it just totally goes awry. Like I thought Chip Kelly was a great plan. Clearly it wasn't. I'm I'm like so so you never know for sure. And sometimes you know a lot of it is luck, and there's a lot that goes into it beyond just who you hire. But you know the talent you surround them with and everything. Um, so maybe the that's it's just a shame though when you get to that point where you're basically just hoping luck wins out. Um, and I think that's the case. Both the Eagles and the Texans are kind of in. It's kind of like yeah things don't look great here, but maybe it'll work out (laughs) if that's if that's the best thing you have to go on.
1: Speaking of luck, let's move to our picks now. In the divisional round, you took the Saints over Tampa Bay. Shame on you. Although you did say at the time that you were trying to put the whammy on the Saints, and you yes. appear to have done that. So I guess congratulations. I'll take it. I successfully took Green Bay over LA. So I am 11 and 7. You are 12 and 6, sir. Where are you going this week? Uh, Packers, baby.
2: I mean, go, pack, go. Aaron Rodgers is on fire. Oh, well, the Bucs beat the Green Bay in week six and Rodgers had his worst game. So what? Rodgers is on a different level right now, uh, especially in the playoffs. The stakes are higher. He's not losing at Lambeau. The Bucs have not been all that impressive, uh, just given who, who they've beaten. You know, Washington by one score. The Saints, the Saints beat themselves. Let's be real. I mean, like the Bucs, you know, they're, they're fine. They're, they're whatever. But the Saints aren't any good. I mean, Drew Brees is not a viable starting quarterback At this point, so uh, yeah, I'm going to take the the Packers. I'm going to ride with them. I think, really, if we're we're talking about ideal Super Bowl for me, at least it is Packers Bills. I think I'm pretty okay with either one of those two teams winning. Aaron Rodgers deserves another title, uh, especially with the season he's having. He's earned it, and I just think the season has been, in large part, the story of Aaron Rodgers. And I just I, I think that path is going to continue to the Super Bowl.
1: I think you're just going to pick against the Bucks every round of the playoffs. That is true. <laughs> no, I, I would agree with you. If I had to pick that game, I think Green Bay is going to win. I just think Aaron Rodgers in that system cannot fail. And something crazy will have to happen for them not to win. I'm going to choose the other game on the slate. And I was happy to hear your Super Bowl pick because I think I'm going Buffalo over Kansas City. I know the Chiefs are really good. They are clearly, but. Patrick Mahomes, this season, has made plays where basically he's gotten away with making turnover-worthy plays. A lot of throws should have been intercepted and haven't been intercepted, and I don't think he's going to make a ton of them in the game against Buffalo, but if he makes a couple, I think that luck is going to run out, and those are going to cost him, and Josh Allen, on the other side, is one of the few quarterbacks in the entire league that is capable of matching the spectacular plays of Patrick Mahomes. So even though I've I've been a little critical of Josh Allen, I think that Mahomes' luck is going to run out. It's really hard to go to back-to-back Super Bowls. It's very difficult to do. There's a reason for that. A lot of things have to go your way, even when you're really good. So I'm going to count on that luck running out, and I will take Josh Allen and the Bills over the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm concerned about Mahomes. I mean, he was ruled out pretty quickly. After
2: that scary incident, you know, where he's stumbling to the ground, maybe he plays, you know, we don't know the concussion protocol is totally, you know, not like a tough it out thing. It's totally just independent medical doctor has to clear them. So we'll see how that goes throughout the week. And then we'll be talking about it here on the SB Nation NFL show, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, I just think Mahomes or no Mahomes. I've just, I. how can I not take the bills? <laughs> I've been riding with them. Uh, I think they have a special vibe to them. I said it earlier in the show, but I'll reference it again, is that I think they're just going to want it more. And I. that's very reductive, but there's, like, there's some level of truth to that. I just think the energy they're going to play with, like they want this more. They haven't been here in forever. It's time to go back to the Super Bowl. It's time to win this thing. Finally, I just would not count out against them right now. I remember reaching a point with the 2017 Eagles, where I was just so confident they were going to win because the coaching was good. Uh, quarterback was obviously playing out of his mind. The talent there, I just I felt such a level of confidence, and I kind of think I'm just there with the Bills. It's not about the opponent. I think that's what it, it came down to me. It's like everyone was like, oh, no, uh, Brady, Belichick, you can't beat those guys. It's not about who they were playing. It's about this team and believing, believing <laughs> stats in this team. And I think it's time to circle the wagons because the Bills are going to win.
1: So you would rather see a Bills title than a back-to-back Chiefs title?
2: Absolutely. I mean, look, uh, Andy Reid, always happy when that guy wins. Good for him. Uh, and Mahomes is awesome, and they deserve it. But it's boring. We, we saw it last year. I don't
1: want to see that again. It's Only boring two anymore. teams have hosted three straight NFC Championship games in NFL history. One is the Philadelphia Eagles. The other is the Kansas City Chiefs. What do they have in common? Uh, They were coached by a guy that the Eagles picked (laughs) Harry Rosen over. (laughs) I knew you were going to find a way to throw a dig in at the Eagles. Yes, both were coached by Andy Reid. So, obviously, he's one of the best of all time. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Again, we remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show, especially five-star reviews. Those, of course, are our favorite. If you want to find Brandon Lee Gowden on Twitter, you search for at Brandon Gowden. I am at Stats on Fire. Enjoy the games, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself.